Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is InvestTalk, independent thinking, shared success. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, July 11th, 2022 edition. I am Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you. New, mu- new week, which means a new focus for investors, earnings, inflation, and that's what matters short term. But we're going to talk a lot about what's happening in the current market. People are going to call about particular stocks. And I'm going to give you my sense of what's happening today. But what's most important is for me to give you the tools, the thought process, the frame of mind in order to make good decisions. I can't be your answer for all investment decisions, and I shouldn't be. InvestStock should be one input for you, for uh, of many, for making your investment decisions. And ultimately, it comes down to you knowing yourself, meaning how comfortable you are with risk, how emotional you tend to be when it comes to your investments, and what your ultimate goals are. And so, once again, we are one tool to help you put that all together into a coherent decision-making process. And so that's what gets me excited to do this show is to get most, get, get our listeners, get the average investor to start thinking more like a professional, have more nerves of steel and focused more on the fundamentals of investing, investing wisely. Whereas most newer investors They tend to get caught up in their innate human reasoning and emotion, which has more to do with what's exciting, what's interesting, chasing trends, chasing performance. And these are all the things that get people in trouble. And so my favorite quote from my grandfather was always, you don't know what you don't know. And it sounds so simple, but if you think about it, it's, it's so profound because we focus so much on what is in front of us 
and what we've experienced. And that's all you can make a decision from. But the more you dig into the details, the more you discover what you don't know and the gaps in your knowledge, the gaps in your decision-making process. And hopefully we can fill some of those gaps. So that's my goal here on today's show. And so I invite your phone calls and questions during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, that's great too. I know the vast majority of you are. You can leave your message on our toll-free listener line at 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Adam from St. Paul, Minnesota. Just had a question about Pinterest, ticker symbol P-I-N-S. I know this is one of those growth stocks that has been beat down quite a bit and was curious to get your take on financials and at these levels if you would be looking to accumulate a position. Um, I'm curious and looking to potentially buy, so appreciate your response and hope you're having a good day. Thank you. All right, this is Pinterest, down about 8.5% today, and from its 52-week high, it's down 76%. So you can see what kind of uh, massive drop this has had, about hit a, close to $80 per share. And now it's down to about $18 per share. And earnings are expected to fall this year. It's 26% from $1.13 last year, which was record high. And down to uh, back up to $1.02 next year. But both of those analyst estimates are coming down. So I don't like that trend. And pre-pandemic, 2019, they only made a penny. So they were struggling and growth is slowing. And you're seeing last Quarter's growth, only 18% in revenue, negative 9% on earnings. So this is definitely one of those pandemic stocks. And what they do is they provide a visual discovery platform that helps users discover ideas for various projects and interests. So it's kind of a unique social media platform. But the big question is, is that now the time to buy? And technically, I see no reason why this isn't just headed lower. Uh, I don't like the earnings trends. And... Where does that ultimately level out at? Uh, I, now, it's certainly far more attractive than it was just about a, a year ago, but I don't think we're quite there yet. So uh, if it gets bound down into the single digits, yeah, single digits, that's probably where I would get uh, interested in Pinterest. Still has a $12 billion market cap and does less than $2 billion a year in revenue, about $2 billion a year in revenue. So I'm not paying six times for something that's shrinking. So I'm passing on Pinterest and the technicals aren't helping the case either. Now my focus point today is based on this story. Wall Street prepares for earnings season kickoff. What you should know as the numbers come in. So we're gonna look at earnings season and factor in inflation and what to what the market's likely to focus on and what you should focus on when looking at uh, companies on your watch list, companies you might own, etc. Also, we're going to touch a bit on the inflation coming down, falling commodity prices, oil, wheat, natural gas, lumber, corn, all these raw materials are coming down in price. How much impact will that have on inflation? I also want to highlight the Nord Stream pipeline shut down. Now, this is supposed to be shut down from uh, for just a couple of weeks for maintenance. This is a, the largest 
pipeline coming from Russia into Germany, sending natural gas to Germany. And the worry is that this will shut down for good. So we'll look at that because I think it's something to watch. And then lastly, let's look at greenwashing when it comes to ESG investing. And I think this is always instructive because ESG is a buzzword within the corporate community, the investment community. And the big question is, does it live up to the hype? Does it really have the impact that everybody wants it to have? So we're going to look at that. Now let's look at the market today. Definitely closed near the lows, had a solid down day, S&P down about 45 points, a little over 1%. The NASDAQ, that was definitely the weakest, down 262 points, about 2% there. And the Russell, that had a down about 37 points, about 2% as well. So definitely the riskier parts of the market, NASDAQ, Russell, 2000, small caps, those had the worst day, whereas S&P, Dow, NYSE, those had, you know, decent down days around 1%, but nothing too dramatic. We're still above our open from Thursday. And we'll see if that can hold. And that's really what the market is trying to do is see can these levels from basically what was it last Thursday, I think when we broke out. And I think that's where we really are going to see uh, the rubber hit, hit the road if we can actually maintain above those uh, those lows, we should move higher. Right. So far we have today, obviously getting closer to that. Uh, but uh, overall, it's a lot to do with inflation coming up on Wednesday, CPI number, and how markets are going to start to price in a Fed pivot. And a lot of indicators are showing that the Fed might be very close to that point. And pessimism is very high. And when that happens, it could take a minor catalyst like a small Fed pivot, just Fed moderating to create a rally. Now we're going into a break. And on the other side, I'll dig into my focus point. Wall Street prepares for earnings season kickoff. I'll break down the dynamics. This is Invest Talk at 888.99 chart. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. 8899Chart, 8899242789. Now, to 
Today's focus point is based on this headline, Wall Street prepares for earnings season. And that's going to be the most important thing to happen this week. Uh, multiple earnings reports from the likes of Pepe, Pepsi, Pepe, Pepsi, Delta, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, a lot on Friday, a lot of the banks report on Friday. We had one earnings report today that was Win Resorts and Las Vegas Sands. And they fell about 6% each because trends in China when it comes to COVID are worsening and that's dragging them down. Uh, but it, it's this is going to be crucial because tighter monetary policy are slashing valuations. They slash multiples. We talked about this many times. Higher interest rates are bad for asset prices across the board, not just real estate, but multiples on equities as well, especially those growthier stocks, right? And those multiples all have to do with earnings. So if multiples contract and earnings go up, then the stock can stay flat, right? If they even themselves out, obviously it depends on the number, but it can even even it out. So how this second quarter earnings plays out will be important to see whether uh, the market's has to adjust the multiple down here or the price down even more because earnings aren't growing. Maybe they're shrinking. And what's going to be most important is how the, how the companies report not just earnings for the second quarter, but what they look for in the second half. Are they more bullish in the second half or are they continue to see maybe headwinds on the supply chain front, uh, input cost, uh, labor availability and then trends in consumer spending obviously that's slowed because of high gas prices grocery store bills etc and so that's going to have an impact on how these companies are thinking about earnings in the back half of the year and then lastly the dollar the strong dollar is making u.s products and services less affordable to those countries abroad and so for the large multinationals they're gonna to have to deal with a lot of that now, earnings among companies in the S&P are projected to go up about 4.3% for the year. And that would mark the slowest pace of growth since the fourth quarter of 2020. Now, for the full year, it's expected to be 10% growth. 10% growth. Now, analysts have lowered near-term earnings estimates recently, but that's pretty common. That's not uncommon. The farther out analysts are projecting, the more bullish they tend to be. And as you get closer to the actual report, they start to normalize those earnings, become a little more realistic. So expectations for second quarter have fallen by a smaller margin than historical averages. So they've come down, but once again, that's kind of typical. Now forecasts for the full year, those have increased. Like I said, the farther out you go, the more bullish they tend to be. Now, the SP expects net profit margins for the second quarter to be 12.4%. That's above the five-year average and a little bit higher than the previous quarter. So that's where I go, maybe they're a little too optimistic still in the near term. Because are they really going to maintain the margins that they have when input costs are going up? That's a big, big question. Now, Target, Microsoft, they warned in June about changing consumer taste 
dollar strength, etc. Nike as well, they reported roughly flat quarterly sales, surging inventory. And, uh, and so you're seeing that weakness in that part of the market. Now, energy, with, or sorry, without energy, the earnings for the S&P 500 as a whole would be on pace to decline for the quarter. So a lot of the growth from, from all this is actually the earnings in the energy sector, driving up broad earnings for the S&P. Now we're heading to a break, and this is your chance to call with your question at 888-99-CHART. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. First of all, I just want to say thank you for everything you guys do on your show. This is Eddie Kong from Montana. My question is, I'm holding in my Roth IRA, Occidental and Exxon. I'm up about 40% on both of them. And with the, the recent market coming down a little bit in oil, I was curious, would you recommend buying more or taking a, a little bit of profits off the top and just waiting? Appreciate your answer. Thank you. Well, it depends on your total exposure to the oil space. So I don't know how much you have beyond Exxon and, and Occidental. And I don't know your total position of your portfolio for each. So those are important factors. What I will say about the oil patch over the past few weeks is I think it's a buying opportunity. Uh, we'll dig into this here in a little bit, but a lot of this has to do with speculators that are pulling money out of commodity funds, for example, a lot of algos that are pricing in a recession. And while that is the demand growth definitely slows during a recession or an economic slowdown, it takes a really, really bad recession for energy demand destruction completely. And meaning less energy demanded. You can have a recession. There have been many recessions in the past where oil demand globally still t continues to grow as long as it's relatively mild. Now, 08 was one of those that had some demand destruction, but 2000, 2003, that recession, pretty mild and energy demand continued to go up. And we have a dearth of supply and the forward curves in the futures market are telling us this, that the physical market is saying there's still a shortage. No matter what you say about the pullback in the equities and a recession, that's not changing the fact that people that need oil and gas are, are concerned that they're not going to be able to get it a month, two, three months out. And so I'm going to listen to the physical market more than the speculative market. So uh, it would be, to me, an opportunity to buy more. Thanks for the call. And let's dig into that a little bit more. Let's talk broadly about commodities. Now, natural gas shot up more than 60% this year until, for, sorry, for the quarter, second quarter, before closing the quarter down 3.9%. So at one point during the second quarter, natural gas prices were up 60%. And that fell back pretty quickly. Crude slipped from 120 down to 106. 
wheat, corn, soybean, they all ended up down for the second quarter. And copper, lumber dropped 22 and 31% respectively. So investors are starting to view this reversal that, that, that the Fed has done a good job at slowing the economy, reducing demand overall. And that's certainly true for the broad commodity index. And that's fed into companies like Archer Daniels Midland, Mosaic, talked about Exxon and Occidental, those are all pulling back pretty dramatically. But traders and analysts think that some of the decline in the commodity prices can be really, a, uh, really go back to people pulling out of commodity futures funds, for example. The fourth straight week of outflows last week, for, or sorry, for June 24th, that was $15 billion of outflows. And for the four weeks prior, in total, that was $125 billion pulled out of the commodities sector this year. And that's a seasonal record. And that's even more than was pulled out during the COVID shutdown in 2020, when economies continue, can completely closed. Talk about demand destruction. That was the ultimate demand destruction. We're not in that place now. And if you look, the EIA said last week that oil output averaged about 12.1 million barrels, which is up, but it's still not back to where we were pre-pandemic. And natural gas inventories in the lower 48 states are 12.5% below the five-year average for this time of year. Now, that's down from the 17% deficit that we were in in March. So it's improved a little, but still, you're 12.5% below the five-year average. And then you have things like strong growing seasons in here in the US, Europe, Australia for wheat, corn, vegetable oil, etc. And that's kind of countered a lot of the lack of supply coming out of Russia. So that's been driving down the price of raw commodities just a bit. Or raw soft commodities, call those are called soft commodities, wheat, corn, etc. Higher mortgage rates slow down in the housing market, that's hurt lumber prices. Lockdowns in China, that's hurt demand for copper, cotton, etc. So there's definitely some headwinds for the sector as a whole. But remember, these are coming off very, very high levels. And everyone was chasing the space. Got a little crowded. And the hot money pulled out because of inflation fear, or sorry, recession fears. But pay attention to the physical market. And the physical market for most commodities remains under supply. Now, in the next and best talk, the story behind this headline, oil is dropped and where it goes next is key for inflation. Energy industry analysts and investment banks are split when it comes to the path ahead for oil. So Steve will get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. 
Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Nick in Los Angeles. He wants to talk about semiconductors. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Hi, I'm calling about ASML, a uh, Dutch semiconductor manufacturing supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty large company. Uh, they basically have a monopoly on this specific technology that's required to uh, manufacture the you know, cutting edge of semiconductors. Uh-huh. And so their top customers are Taiwan Semiconductor, Intel, the biggest fabs. Yep. And the thinking goes that, you know, demand for semiconductors will wane and grow with the business cycle. But the orders for this specific product, it's called a uh, EUV lithography, 
should be, you know, basically guaranteed by the biggest fabs. And ASML's profits and uh, revenue growth should basically be guaranteed, so long as we're going to still need to buy phones and computers and stuff like that, you know, that need semiconductors. It's a very profitable company, high uh, return on equity, high margins. I obviously it's in a steep downtrend. I'm aware. I was thinking about picking up at four hundred dollars to get there. What do you think? Thanks. Well, you're correct. ASML is one of the the best chip equipment makers, meaning they're the they they are, their products go into the fab facilities that are run by Intel and and Taiwan Semiconductor, et cetera, and they have great products, great business. And there's only a handful of these type of companies. Uh, Applied Materials is another one, for example. And this has come down a lot, uh, you know, 51% from its 52-week high. Now, the issue with the semiconductor space right now in general is that there's just simply over capacity. So over the past couple of years, ASML has boomed. They made 2019 $6.90. And they were growing. That was actually down from $6.95 the previous year. And then once COVID hit, everyone was buying things. There was chip shortages. And so these semiconductor companies were investing in capacity because they couldn't they couldn't source, they couldn't produce enough. And the demand just skyrocketed. And so that's why they're supposed to earn $17.38 this year. That's up from $16.30 last year, more than double, about two and a half times what they earned in 2019. But those earnings estimates are coming down. And it looks to me like they're going to trend back to, you know, have a mean reversion to their earnings. And so while I like the company long-term, this is definitely a company on my watch list. But the trends in earnings estimates continue to to fall, and that's why the stock continues to fall. It's currently trading at about 25 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Over the past five years, the average is about 31, so it's definitely on the lower side, but it doesn't tend to bottom until the teens, historically, the high teens. Now it's at 25. So I think there's some more downside still here especially because the whole chip industry in general has uh, an overcapacity issue currently. And so my support level, my buy level is around 340, call it 350, $350 per share. It's at 440 now. That's about a 20% dip. That would get you into that high teens when it comes to enterprise value to EBITDA multiple. So that's my target price. 350 is when I would pick it up. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Richard in Valencia looking at KHC, which is Kraft Heinz company. You owner looking to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, just, I, I have a small position on it and uh, I think my average cost is like $35 and it's at about 38 something right now. And I'm just wondering in this uh, environment, is that something you'd say hang on to uh, or is it that, uh, you know, in a recession, people are going to turn more to generic type brands. So my question is this, is this a, a good long-term type of stock and something to try to add to or sell it? 
right now while it while there's been some profit yeah well the first thing you have to think about is or not think about is what you paid for it too many people think about that what did i pay for it and how does that line up with work it's currently trading am i at a profit am i a loss frankly that should be a very small part of your analysis okay you have to look at your portfolio as a whole allocations different sectors overweight and underweight different sectors based on the economic backdrop and then you go down to the particular sector the particular companies make sure you have the best ones best of breed within those particular sectors that's the way you want to think about it don't think about what i paid for it or not okay so that's number one all right so Kraft Heinz uh, is obviously one of those big blue chip companies, $47 billion market cap. They have brands like Oscar Mayer, Velveeta, Philadelphia, obviously uh, Kraft and, and Heinz Ketchup, et cetera. And they're the fifth largest uh, packaged food company in the world, the third largest food and beverage manufacturer in North America behind Pepsi and Nestle. So they're, they're very large. And their their overall sales are going to be decent, right? They're they're going to kind of have modest growth, uh, but you're not going to get big growth out of them. And the issue with packaged food companies in an inflationary world is that their input costs tend to go up more than their ability to raise prices in a very competitive space. And that's my issue with this. It's currently trading about. 13 times, 14 times enterprise value to EBITDA, which historically it's about in the middle of where it tends to, to trade. So I wouldn't say it's overvalued or undervalued. I think it's kind of fairly valued. Technicals are very neutral, nothing too bearish or too bullish. So overall, I don't get excited about it. I think there's better options. Uh, certainly with inflation moderating, that's gonna give them a, a, a near-term tailwind. But long term, it's a solid company, but it's very low growth. It's going to be a tough business in an inflationary world. And so I would rather have something else. So I'm going to pass on Kraft, Heinz Kraft, KHC. Thanks for the call, Richard. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we have to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Soja says, in your opinion, do you still think it's wise to participate in an employee's ESPP program? That's employee stock purchase purchase program. If they have one year post vest holding period, in my example, a 15% discount applies to the lower price of the offering or purchase date. The first question is, what company are you having to invest in? How stable is that company? What's the current valuation? For example, if you own, if you're working for Shopify. And you could invest in their stock two years ago. Let's call it a year ago when the price was very expensive. A 50% discount, not really that exciting. So I need to know what company this is first off. Now, if the valuation is reasonable, the company's business model is solid and intact and growing, right? The business is growing. Then I would say I would do it. Now you want to 
limit your overall exposure to that company because you get your income from that company. Anything can happen. It could be an Enron. A lot of people that work for Enron, they had way too much money tied up in the company stock. They thought it was just always going to do amazing. And they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. And so when the company went under, they not only lost their job, but they lost their entire retirement savings as well. So make sure it's no more than 10%, 15% max of your total net worth. I think 10 is the target, to be honest with you. And so a nice 15% discount, you should take it as long as you have confidence in the valuation and the stability of the company, even if you have a one-year lockup period. Now, summer is here, and so is market volatility. You have trending higher volatility over the summer, and that means when volatility is elevated, you need to pay attention. You need to be aware of the risks and reward in your portfolio and how that fits with today's market. So if you're having trouble pinpointing that, understanding that, I encourage you to work out, work to reach out, excuse me, reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing, means we invest right alongside our clients. And we implement the same strategies that we do for ourselves, for our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message to investtalk.com or give our office a call, 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now let's pivot over to John from Santa Cruz looking at WDS. Yes. Hi, Justin. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this to possibly add to my portfolio. Um, seems to have a huge natural gas um, element to it. So wonder what you think of this company. All right. This is Woodside Energy. And let's see. Yeah, they're out of Australia. They're the first LNG production from Northwestern Shelf that came on in 1984. Hmm. Which obviously in this world where Europe, Japan, they're needing a lot of natural gas. They import a lot of it now via LNG. So their business is doing fairly well. Making $2.02 last year. Expect to make $3.39 next year. About 296 next year has pulled back with all the other energy players. It's definitely into some support. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I like the LNG players, $20 billion market cap. Uh, I'm going to give Woodside a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 And this, everyone's just giving, giving calls that just bleed right into my next discussion point, which is about the Nord Stream pipeline. And this is the pipeline, 760 miles, that runs from northwestern Russia under the Baltic Sea to Germany. Now, it's going to get, today, it started its annual maintenance for 10 days. And the worry is that 
Russia won't turn this back on. Why? Because they've already cut deliver deliveries by 40% over that pipeline. And the worry is they won't bring it back online. And this is very important to Europe and, and Germany as a whole. Because Germany gets 40 or just Europe in general gets 40% of its natural gas from Russia. And German industry is highly dependent on this cheap, abundant source of energy. Now, Russia is saying any reason for a delay of turning it back on is based is, is blamed on Russian sanctions uh, and issues with a repair of one of their turbines uh, in Canada. And actually, Germany had to negotiate with Canada to send the turbine to Germany after weeks of discussion. And the big question is, Europe has enough gas now, but they're going to plan to use this pipeline to stock up for the winter when natural gas demand is very, very high. It's very, very cold in Germany in the winter. And this is feeding through to the entire German industry. Some products need natural gas for the chemicals to build those particular widgets or, or whatever it is that goes into the, their finished products. And they're already looking to import some of them from outside the region where energy prices are lower. Others are planning to change the source of their energy, like switching to coal. They've already done that. Now, Europe is already buying a record amount of LNG from the US and other non-Russian exporters like Australia, like we just talked about. But will that be enough? Like I said, 40% of the EU's overall supply of fuel comes from Russia. You're already having problems in places like France. EDF, one of their energy giants, was nationalized. Why? Because the government has caps on electricity prices. Here in the U.S., what we typically do is guarantee the utilities earn some profit. So if the price of the inputs of the, of the commodity go up or down, consumers still pay it either way, and they're guaranteeing a margin. Whereas in, in Europe, that's not necessarily the case. Uniper, the largest Europe, one of Europe's largest utility out of Germany, had a bailout by the government because they're hit hard by lower gas supplies. So while you think our problems when it comes to gasoline at the pump are creating issues, nothing compares to the to the problems these sky high natural gas prices in Europe are creating for the people for the economies and for the industry, especially Germany, which is the bellwether of the European economy. And that's why the euro is so weak compared to the dollar because of these problems. The fact that if this takes down Germany and their economy in a big, big way, it's going to reverberate all through Europe. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk, and the market has been interesting. 
so you'll have important finance and investment questions, and Steve and Justin welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin, Adam from Texas. I have a thesis that I wanted to run by you all based on the geopolitical tensions, the Ukraine region that has to do with oil, as well as the inflation that seems to be kind of present globally, and then a potential recession. I was looking at shorting Uber, that's U-B-E-R for the ticker symbol, Uniform, Bravo, Echo, Romeo. And I was curious to see what you all thought about my thesis. Thanks again for what you do. All right, looking at Uber, shorting Uber, U-B-E-R, and I I agree. I still think it's overvalued. It's in a downtrend. It's operating cash flow is barely positive. It's raising capital and let's see, shares outstanding continue to go higher. So shareholders uh, are getting uh, diluted consistently. Yeah. A year ago, they had about a 1.88 billion shares outstanding. They have 1.96. So they continue to issue shares even as the stock price goes lower. So, and in a recession, clearly people are not going to f- be able to afford 50, 60, $70 Uber rides just to get home from wherever they're at, the bar, going out, whatever it is. So, yeah, I think volume's going to go down. Certainly higher cost of fuel, that's mainly borne by the driver, uh, but that feeds into ultimate costs of, of an Uber. So I think this is one of those great, I would call it a, a quasi-Ponzi stock because, uh, you know, their, their cash flow is at least decent, um, but clearly not good enough because they're raising capital in the midst of a downtrend in the stock. So shorting Uber, I'm going to give a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, I want to touch a bit on greenwashing. And this is an interesting new pilot that's being launched by financial crime advisory firm K2 Integrity Holdings. And they're launching an anti-greenwashing certification for investment firms to crack down on false claims about their investment products that they're ESG. And what they're going to do is they're going to make sure firms deliver on their environmental, social, and governance targets that they advertise to pensions and individuals. So they're not just saying it, they're actually making it happen. Now, K2 will use disclosures from the companies they analyze and its own investigators' research. And what's important here is They're going to trust but verify type of approach, meaning they're going to combine the disclosures and they're going to use their own staff to conduct a verification of what the actual disclosures are saying. And this is important because what a lot of companies say, remember, there's no standard definition of what ESG is, what metrics there are and how those metrics are calculated. So it's very common for companies to put out metrics, but these are metrics that are calculated internally with no standard protocol. So they can kind of cherry pick various aspects of their business and look on, look at them more favorably from an ESG perspective. And so that's what's interesting here is Moody's, S&P, they don't do anything like this. 
And so this comes on the heels of the, of the SEC writing new rules, proposing new rules governing how asset managers market ESG products. They're investigating companies like Goldman Sachs and Deutsche Bank. And just goes to show you that a lot of Wall Street is touting ESG to get more assets to make it look like this money is going to more of a good cause. But in reality, it's being greenwashed. Most of the investments say one thing, but if you dig under the hood, they're not nearly as ESG friendly as, as you would hope. And I think this industry has a long, long way to go. And there needs to be some standard protocols, standard metrics in order to make sure that these companies are being honest with the public, with their investors, that the money truly is being invested and being deployed in a way that meets these standards. And I think ultimately it's going to break up ESG environmental, social, and governance, which one's most important? Well, why not separate each company and have separate ratings? And then you can have, you can have funds that kind of speak to each one of those concerns. Now I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to, t- to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and, re- rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave a question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.